corner when Mariah Carey comes back out every year, right? And uh, I'm already starting to hear, all I want for Christmas is you. Already, It's already hitting the commercials and the airways and the, and the stores. And in the same way, you know that Thanksgiving is getting closer when you start seeing more of Charlie Brown and the Peanuts, right? I mean, it's just like Mariah Carey goes with Christmas, Charlie Brown goes with Thanksgiving. And, uh, and so I've got a Thanksgiving uh, cartoon to put up here, and this is, this is for Matt Ward. Uh, he, he loves Snoopy and Charlie Brown. Uh, so Snoopy's looking at his dog bowl, and he says, How about that? Everyone's eating turkey today, but I just get, but just because I'm a dog, I get dog food. It's kind of complaining, right? But then he says, of course, it might have been worse. I could have been born a turkey. (laughs) That's a great example of Paul's uh, word to us that we should give thanks in all circumstances, right? But that's harder to do than it sounds. And all too often, I'm like Snoopy in those first two panels. All too often, I'm more likely to complain in all circumstances than to give thanks. And so Paul tells us in Philippians that we're to do everything without grumbling. That's a hard one too. Do everything without grumbling. You see, grumbling and gratitude are mutually exclusive. You can't grumble and be grateful at the same time. And all too often, like Snoopy, I tend to be reactive. I allow my circumstances to affect my mindset and my attitude. When things don't exactly go the way I think they should... When I'm inconvenienced and and I get impatient or frustrated or or tired, I honestly tend to grumble more than I am being grateful. I think like many people in our country, I've been spoiled by the conveniences and the instant gratifications and the comforts that we have come to enjoy as a country. You know, we, we honestly don't really like having to make sacrifices or be inconvenienced or delay our gratification. We don't want anything to be too hard. And so I think we sort of have developed this immature, selfish perspective on even the normal hardships of life. Just those day-to-day things that we have to trudge through and we struggle with and those minor inconveniences. We just get so upset sometimes over things that really are just part of life. They're not even the terribly hard parts of life. And so God's teaching me. He's working on me. He's teaching me a better approach that I can look for the treasure that's hidden in every trial, that I can see the gift of God's grace in every moment. And and the truth really is that spiritual growth tends to happen in our lives more often when times are tough, when we have to go through those trials, when we have to walk those harder roads. That's typically when we grow spiritually more often than when things are smooth and everything's going our way. During the 30-year war, Martin Rinkart was a pastor in Saxony, Germany. And for a time, he was the only pastor in town. In fact, in the year 1637, he alone, by himself, presided over 4,500 burials. That's a lot of funerals to do in one year. But in the context of this tragic, hopeless situation, he wrote a hymn that's in our hymnal called, Now Thank We All Our God a hymn of unconditional gratitude to God. And when you think about what he was going through, what the world was going through when he wrote this, it's really amazing. He says, Now thank we all our God with heart, hands, and voices who wondrous things has done in whom his world rejoices. Rinkhart and this hymn remind us that to be thankful people doesn't mean everything has to be going our way. That we don't have to have to everything just so-so in order for us 
to rejoice. But how do we get there? How do we move from grumbling to gratitude? How can we truthfully give thanks in all circumstances without complaining? I know we can fake it. Let's be honest. We can plaster on a smile. We can say, oh, things are great. I'm so grateful. But how can gratitude and thanksgiving really, genuinely flow from our hearts no matter what's happening? Well, it all comes back to grace. And this sermon series is all about how God's grace, His unmerited favor, not only is enough for our salvation and eternal life, His grace is enough to help us live day to day. To help us through times of grief like we talked about last week. You know, last week we focused on this, that God helps us to grieve in those hard times and those times where we don't feel good, where it's hard to be grateful. God gives us the grace to grieve. And so today we now move on to focus on how God gives us the grace to be grateful in those times, regardless of our circumstances. Grace to rejoice in all things. So turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. <clears throat> and really here in chapters 8 and 9, Paul encourages us to be generous, grace-filled, and grateful people. And we're going to come back to this passage in a couple of Sundays as we look at God, how God gives us the grace to give. He gives us the grace to be generous because generosity and gratitude are deeply intertwined. And you'll see that in how often Paul uses words give, grace, and grateful together in these two chapters. But for today, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes, And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, He distributed freely, He gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all generosity which produces thanksgiving to God through us. For the ministry of this service, and here when he talks about the ministry, he's talking about this collection that he is taking up among all the Gentile churches to go back to Jerusalem because the, 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 the Jerusalem church is suffering under a severe famine. People are starving to death in Israel. So he's collecting this, this, uh, this offering to send back to them. So that's what he talks about when he talks about this ministry of service. He says it's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the proof provided by this ministry... They will glorify God for your obedient confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for the reading of Your Word. We pray Your Spirit would illuminate it, open our eyes, and challenge us, Lord, to how we can be more grateful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we see in this passage that gratitude is a product of generosity. And again, we'll talk more about that in a few weeks. But really here in this passage, what I want us to look at in Paul, are two causes, two reasons for us to have a grateful life, a life of gratitude. And the first, he tells us in verses 11 through 13, 
is our generosity toward others. That our generosity toward others can prompt people to have gratitude to God. Now, in each of these verses, here if you look at verses 11, 12, and 13, in each of these three verses, Paul is making the very same point. That when God's people are generous in their giving, when they are obedient to carry out the Great Commission, when they are serving other people selflessly, putting other people before themselves, it will result in people giving praise and thanks to God in a variety of expressions. Now, Jesus put it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, In the same way we are to let our light shine before others so they may see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. So as we give, as we serve, as we work for the kingdom of God to bless other people, people will see that. And Jesus and Paul both say it will result in praise and thanksgiving to God. They will give glory to the Father. Now, I know that, like me, you can look at your own life and you can see how other people have blessed you, how other people have made sacrifices for you, other people have served you, they've given to you. And we can certainly be grateful to those people, but ultimately, that kind of service and generosity should prompt us to give thanksgiving to God. Right? If you're just stopping at being thankful to other people, you're falling short. It should then prompt us to give gratitude to God. He is the one who ultimately deserves our thanksgiving. And so when we serve other people, when we are, are, are bringing shoeboxes for Operation Christmas Child, by the way, all week long you can bring shoeboxes. We'll be collecting them all week uh, this week. When we give, when we give to Lottie Moon, when we give our tithes and offerings, when we serve in the nursery or with our children's ministry or when we are a part of drive through Nativity, when we are doing those things... The goal should be to prompt people not to give thanks to us. right? We should never want the spotlight to shine on us. We want to give glory to the Father. We want our acts of generosity and service to prompt other people to have a life of gratitude to God. So that's the first thing he says. But then in verses 14 and 15, more importantly, God's generosity toward us. Right? It's His generosity toward us. Look at verses 14 and 15. And as they pray on your behalf, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. So we've moved from the people of God's generosity and service to God's surpassing grace and indescribable gift. Now that word grace we looked at last week, charis in the Greek, uh, one, trans, one definition of grace is benevolence, expressed in generous love that commands action, but which is absolutely free. So grace is a benevolence that is expressed in generous love through action. It's not just a feeling. It's a kind of, uh, of goodness, a kind of love that you do something with. You act on it, but it's absolutely free. It's a true gift. No strings attached. No ulterior motives. In verse 14, Charis describes how God's gracious action not only inspires their generous giving, but gives them the supplies they need to give. Okay, so our motivation to give, the very ability that we have to give, is itself a gift from God. An honor and a privilege for which we should give God thanks. In God's grace, in other words, He invites us to participate with Him in His gracious nature. Part of being made in God's image is that we get to extend His grace. We get to experience the joy of being generous 
and giving to other people. But unlike God, we're dependent. Right? We, we have nothing within us to give that hasn't first been given to us, right? We talk about being a channel of blessing, right? That it flows from God through us. There's nothing in myself worth giving. Anything I have to give comes first from God. And so we are both recipients of God's grace and we are participants in sharing God's grace with others. But an interesting thing is that the first word in verse 15 which, which my, the, the Christian Standard Bible says, thanks be to God. That word thanks be to is one Greek word. And it's the same Greek word that is translated grace in verse 14. So after talking about others praising God because of His people's generous giving, Paul now says, in effect, let us all thank God for His supremely generous gift to us. So in each case... When we give, when we serve, it is actually God giving and serving and working through us. And when we recognize that God is the source of all the good gifts, that He is the one that truly allows and enables us to give at all, then it will result in gratitude from us. Now, that, the typical Greek word for giving thanks, for thanksgiving, is eucharisteo. Okay? Now, Paul here uses the word charis, which is the root word of that. But if he used that word, which he does elsewhere in these two chapters, Eucharisteo literally means good grace. Good grace. To give thanks to God is to, is to acknowledge the goodness of His grace. So the core idea of these verses is that God's grace results in gratitude and out of gratitude can flow generosity. We can't be generous people unless we're grateful people. And that gratitude is a result of God's grace. Paul says something similar in chapter 4, verse 15. He says, All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now, I want us to think about three things here in this passage that tell us why God's grace is good and why we should be grateful for His grace and why that should result in generosity flowing through us. First, in verse 14, he says it's surpassing grace. And then he describes it in the next verse as indescribable grace. That means that we will spend all of our lives and the rest of eternity just trying to wrap our minds around God's grace. That's how amazing it is. We will never be able to express enough gratitude to God. We will never be able to praise His name enough for His all-surpassing, indescribable gift. Amen? Which is why when we fall into the temptation of grumbling and complaining, we have forgotten that everything we have is a gift from God. Our existence is a gift. You didn't do anything to earn or deserve your own birth, did you? We breathe undeserved air with every breath we breathe. God causes the sun to rise and shine and the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. We don't deserve a single thing that we have. It's all charis. It's all God's all-surpassing, indescribable gift. We don't deserve any of it. But third, he tells us in verses 8 and 10 and 11 that it's an abundant grace. But look, at, look at verse 8. Look at how many times the word every is used here. God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. God's grace gifts are multiplying gifts. 
They grow exponentially in our lives. And if you look at verses 10 and 11, he uses this analogy of the farmer. And we don't have the same dilemma when it comes to God's grace the farmer has. The farmer has to make these hard decisions every year. How much seed does he keep back to sow for the next season? And how much can he use to provide for his family and feed his family? And Paul's point here is that God supplies all of our needs. Everything, even what we have to give to other people, comes from Him. There will always be spiritual and physical bread to eat, and there will always be physical and spiritual seed to sow when we immerse ourselves in the grace of God, when we live a life of grace-giving and gratitude, when we encourage others to do the same. Paul is saying we will reap a bountiful harvest of blessings from God. We'll see other people's needs being met, and God will receive all the thanksgiving and all the praise. Now, those are the two causes for us to have a life of gratitude. The generosity of people and the generosity of God all drive us to live lives of gratitude to Him. But if you'll turn with me to Psalm 66, I want us to here look at four calls to a life of gratitude. Now, Psalm 66 is an example of the thanksgiving and praise that we should give to our gracious God. And really, Psalms 65, 66, and 67 are all thanksgiving hymns that are exactly what Paul's been writing about. Paul has given us reasons to be grateful. These Psalms show us ways we can be grateful, okay? Four calls to a life of gratitude. The first really covers the whole psalm, and that is a communal call to personal thanksgiving. Now, that may seem like an oxymoron. How can something be communal, but, but yet personal or individual? Well, the first 12 verses, as we'll see, are in the plural sense. And In other words, together, God's people give Him praise and thanks for His work in the world. And, and when we look at ourselves as family, friends, as a community, as a church, as a country, we have much to be grateful for. We can be thankful for God's saving grace, for His provision and protection, for the freedoms that we enjoy, for the resources that He provides. And so when we gather together, we should intentionally raise our voice in praise and thanksgiving to God. But then from verse 13 to the end, it is in the singular. So we can move from plural to singular. Because every one of us individually, as children of God, should live lives of gratitude. We should each begin and end our days thanking God for His surpassing grace and His indescribable gifts. Each of us should pause throughout the day, every day, not just on Thanksgiving, not just at mealtimes. We should constantly have a life and an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude and praise to God for His many gifts. But secondly, as we jump into these verses here, we see the call to joyful praise. Okay, look at verse 1. He says, Let the whole earth shout joyfully to God. Sing about the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, How awe-inspiring are your works. Your enemies will cringe before you because of your great strength. The whole earth will worship you and sing praise to you. They will sing praise to your name. Here the psalmist calls for all the worth to praise God for His awesome works and His great power. What happens when we have an attitude of gratitude that looks for God's hand to be at work all around us? Well, he tells us here that it will result in joyful shouting and singing. That the enemies of God will bow in submission and fear. That all the earth will worship and sing His praises, which Paul tells us will happen at the end of time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
When we live a life of gratitude, there's this call to joyful praise. But then there's also a call to come and see. Look at verse 5. Let's look at verses 5 through 15. Come and see the wonders of God. His acts for humanity are awe-inspiring. He turned the sea into dry land, and they crossed the river on foot. There we rejoiced in Him. He rules forever by His might. He keeps His eye on the nations. The rebellious should not exalt themselves. Bless our God, you peoples. Let the sound of His praise be heard. He keeps us alive and does not allow our feet to slip. For you, God, tested us. You refined us as silver is refined. You lured us into a trap. You placed burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. But you brought us out to abundance. I will enter your house with burnt offerings. I will pay my vows that my lips promised and my mouth spoke during my distress. I will offer you fattened sheep as burnt offerings. With the fragrant smoke of rams, I will sacrifice bulls with goats. Now here we see two aspects of this call to come and see, which are two things that we do every Sunday. Every time we gather together, we do these two things. The first is retell the redemption story. That's the first thing we do. We retell the redemption story to each other. The psalmist here calls Israel to retell the story of their redemption from slavery in Egypt, from the deliverance through the the wilderness and across the Jordan River to take the promised land. That is Israel's redemption story, the Exodus. For us as Christians, we might say, come and see the child in the manger. Come and see the Christ upon the cross. Come and see the empty tomb and the risen Lord who will come again. It's retelling the story of God's saving acts in history for all people. We do that every Sunday. We do it through songs, through testimonies and prayer, through Scripture reading, through the preaching of God's Word. When we gather together, we must retell the redemption story. And then that results in the second thing. We then respond to the Redeemer with our worship and praise. We retell and we respond. So worship, praise, thanksgiving, these things are pleasing to the Lord. He inhabits the praise of His people. He deserves our praise. But you know what? He doesn't need it. God doesn't need anything, right? He is all sufficient. He doesn't need our praise, but we do. We need to praise Him. We need to remember and retell and respond to Him. Why? Because when we remember what God has done in the past, we give Him thanks and it reminds us that He is still in charge. So that when we are going through fire and water, we will remember He will bring us out to abundance. That He will see us through no matter what difficulties we face tomorrow. He is still on His throne. He is sovereign and in control. And when our lives depend upon Him that's when we will find real peace, real security, when we surrender to His plan, when we acknowledge His purposes for our lives. That's the key to giving thanks to God in all things without grumbling and complaining. A good example of that is the story of Joseph back in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph, his brother sold him into slavery in Egypt. And he had all these ups and downs. And every time things seemed to be looking good, things got worse for him until he finally became second in command of all Egypt, overseeing their welfare program or their disaster relief program. He was making sure that all the people dealing with this famine had food to eat. And when his brothers came to him for help, 
Listen to what he said in Genesis 50:20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So rather than blaming his brothers and seeking revenge, rather than carrying this chip on his shoulder or having resentment in his heart toward God for letting him endure all that he faced, Joseph chose to look at his difficulties with gratitude. He was grateful that God worked through all of that to put him in a place where he could be a part of God's grace extended to the world. That's the kind of attitude that we need to have. It doesn't mean that God is necessarily behind everything that happens. He's not the cause of all the bad things that happen, but He is sovereign. He is in charge. That means His hand is on that thermostat. Whatever suffering you face, whatever you're going through, whatever trials you're enduring, and you can look at that in one of two ways. You can either say, yeah, God, He's cranking up the heat on me, or you can say, God's the one who's keeping that heat from getting too hot that it would destroy me. He shows grace. He shows mercy. He uses the trials in our lives to raise awareness of what's wrong in our lives. He uses these difficulties to refine us. As the psalmist says, to test us, to refine us as silver is refined, to burn off the impurities of sin in our lives. And isn't temporary suffering worth the results of being purified to look more and more like Jesus? For all of eternity? Listen, if that's our perspective, then we can express thanksgiving to God and His purifying work in our lives, His forgiveness, His restoring our broken relationships, His preparing us to better serve and represent Him to others. We can have gratitude in our hearts even through the trials that we face, just as Joseph did. God can also use those trying circumstances not only to refine us, but to bless others. And God did both in Joseph's life. I mean, when his brothers find Joseph second in charge of all Egypt, he's a very different man than he was when they were growing up. He's not arrogant. He's not haughty. He's humble. Even though he's got all this power, he sees himself as a humble servant. But through his trials, Joseph is in a place to help his brothers. He's in a place to save the lives of others. And when we suffer in this life, we need to watch for the ways in which God wants to use that to help us reflect His grace, to help us to serve other people in in, in various ways. He's giving us opportunities to share Jesus and make disciples. He's giving us opportunities to come alongside someone else and comfort them with the comfort we have received. When we can think about it that way, it helps to point our heart in gratitude to God we can stop feeling sorry for ourselves, if we can stop wondering, why me, God, we may just discover a sense of purpose that surpasses our pain and a peace that passes all understanding. And we can truly thank God in all things and worship Him as the one who can turn our mourning into dancing. When we respond in an offering of thanks, when we show that we know that God is the source of all of our blessings and abundance, when we can be thankful... It encourages us to face our problems. It encourages us to move forward faithfully in our lives with God's help, and it helps us to extend His grace to others. And that brings us to the last call, and that's the call to go and tell. So there's a call for us to come in here, to worship together, to retell and respond, but then we leave this place and we go and tell others. Look what he says in verse 16. Come and listen, all who fear God, and I will tell what He has done for me. 
I cried out to Him with my mouth and praise was on my tongue. If I had been aware of malice in my heart, the Lord would not have heard. However, God has listened and He has paid attention to the sound of my prayer. Blessed be God. He has not turned away my prayer or turned His faithful love from me. When we embrace all that God has in store for us, when we look for His goodness and grace all around us, it will result in bearing witness to Him in powerful ways. Like the psalmist, we will want others to come and hear. We will long for the opportunity to tell other people what God has done for us. We won't be able to be silent about His story and our story so that they too can know, love, and follow Jesus Christ themselves. So in in that come and hear, we think about worship and coming together and worship and fellowship. In this go and tell, we think about evangelism, missions, sharing our faith, having gospel conversations. Listen, this isn't rocket science. It's pretty simple. Think about it. The things that you're most grateful for in your life, the, the things the people you love the most in your life, the things that get you the excited the most, you know, like construction vehicles. You want to talk about those things, don't you? Don't you? Amen? If you're passionate about your job, if you've got a hobby you're passionate about, you know, you finally caught that prize-winning fish, you got that new boat, you finally got that buck that's been eluding you all season, you know, you get that job promotion, your kids are doing well in school, your grandkids are, are doing great, you want to tell other people about that, don't you? How many of you have ever been nervous to tell somebody about how much you love your spouse? How many of you are afraid to talk about your sports team? Tennessee fans aside. <laughs> Georgia? No, you guys, you'll talk about Georgia anytime you get how great they're doing, right? Grandparents, how often are you afraid to show someone kids about your, your pictures of your grandkids? No. Because when you love someone, when you're grateful for something, when you're excited about something, you want to talk about it. Why don't we want to talk about Jesus? Why are we nervous and afraid to talk about His grace and mercy at work in our lives? We're not fully grateful to Him. We're not as in love with Him as we think we are. We're not as passionate and excited about what He's done in our lives. If we were, listen, I'll be baptizing people every Sunday. Where's the gratitude? Where's the passion? Where's the love? We need to come and hear. We need to retell and remind ourselves and respond and celebrate and worship. But then, y'all, we need to go and tell other people the good news of who Jesus is and what He has done for us and what He can do for them. We need to live grateful lives that do come to hear again and again the story but then seek to go and tell others. We need to discover that God has given us grace enough to be grateful no matter what happens in our lives and He gives us grace enough to go tell other people about it. And listen, if He is sending you to talk to somebody, He's already at work in that person's life preparing them to hear what you have to say. He doesn't send you alone. He doesn't send you unprepared. And that means we have to be thankful not just one day a year, but every day. It means that we need to carve out real time to spend in thanksgiving and praise to our God every day. And I believe that would make a difference in terms of our awareness 
of God's help in our lives, our accountability to God and others, our effectiveness for Christ throughout the day, our openness to receive and, and to recognize God's blessings in our lives. Listen, we are far more blessed than the psalmist is right here because we've got the Holy Spirit of God living in us. We've got Jesus, our mediator, right now making intercession for us every day to the Father. Let's give thanks to God for His indescribable gift. Amen? But you know what? You have to receive that gift first. You have to open that gift. Have you done that? Have you received God's free gift of salvation? This indescribable gift is yours for the taking. If you would but come to Christ in faith, turn from your sin and trust in what He did for you on Calvary's cross, the Bible says all of your sins will be forgiven. You'll be given a fresh start, a clean slate. The Spirit of God will come to indwell you and you'll begin to know peace and joy like you've never experienced. It doesn't mean life is easy. Again, we go through difficult times. We pass through fire and water. We've got people riding on our backs. But God will see us through those things to abundance. He will lead us through that dark valley, through the enemies around us into the Father's house forever. He will anoint us. Our cup will overflow if we trust in Him. Have you done that? I invite you to come today. Receive God's free, indescribable gift of eternal life. Please do that if you've never done that. I'll be standing down here in just a moment to help you make that most important decision of your life. As a Christian, maybe you're here this morning and you're feeling some conviction because you have not been nurturing a grateful heart. Maybe like me, you struggle sometimes with complaining, with grumbling. You look for the cloud behind every silver lining. You know, the cup isn't just half empty. You know, it's like there's hardly anything in it, right? Maybe that's you. And you'd come and you'd go to this altar and you'd lay that down at the feet of Christ and say, Lord, nurture within me a grateful heart. Open my eyes and help me to see. Give me grace enough to be grateful. Whatever God's Spirit is speaking to you this morning, however you need to respond, Let's stand together and pray and invite you to come as the Spirit of God leads you. Father, we are so grateful. Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful. And I pray that everybody else is grateful, Lord, for all of your blessings, for all of your many gifts. It's so easy, God, for us to take these things for granted. It's so easy for us, Lord, to take our eyes off you to forget the path that lies behind us that you have helped us through and to look at what's going on right now in our lives and be overwhelmed and complain and worry. It's so easy for us, God, to walk past all of these, these tables you've prepared before us, this cup that overflows. It's so easy for us just to take that for granted. God, forgive us. Give us the grace we need to be grateful to be thankful, to give praise to Your name, to share Your goodness and mercy with other people and call them to see and to know our good God, His all-surpassing grace, His indescribable gift. Be at work in our hearts, Father. Draw us closer to You. God, give us a fresh burden for the lost around us. God, this world is lost. This world is confused. This world is adrift. It shocks me more and more every day. The things I'm seeing on the news, the things I'm, I'm hearing people say, 
Lord, there's a darkness, a spiritual oppression on this country and this world, the likes many of us have never seen. Lord, you have given us the power and the charge to shine the light into the darkness so that people will see and give you praise and glory so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord before they have to do it on Judgment Day. God, help us to take this seriously. Lord, whatever you're speaking to our hearts, whatever we need to do, Lord, in repentance, in confession, in trusting in you, and stepping out of these doors in obedience, God, give us the grace to do it right now. In Jesus' name we pray.